0: i got the title, Jesus Loves the Church. Um, If I've got things correct, this is uh, the final one in our series that we've been doing, Looking at the Church. Um, And I would encourage you that if you've uh, missed some of them, go back and listen to them uh, on iTunes, on the podcast or from our website. Um, I've really enjoyed this series. I love the church. um, And so I've really enjoyed spending time finding out more about the church. So have a look at it. Uh, Well, this morning then, I wonder what you think about the church. Uh, you may be here, may be a regular at Gateway. Uh, so what, what do you think of, of Gateway Church? Uh, if you're a visitor, uh, what do you think of the church that you're from? Or well, perhaps if you don't go to church, then what's your view of the church generally? Um, there's all different ideas we might have about what the church is like. Um, and if I was to ask you in private, you might give me a more honest answer, perhaps. Um, I've done a little bit of research this week to see uh, what various people do think of the church. Uh, This one is written by a vicar. People often say to me, why do you work in Iraq? I have one reply, because church in England is too boring. It's obviously not talking about the Welsh church, which is amazing. Um, I must confess that this is partly said in in jest, but a major part of me feels it is true. Every time I return to the UK, there is quite a list of churches that want me. He uh, obviously feels very highly of himself too. Uh, My staff back in the UK have a very important job to do. That is to not send me to a boring church to preach. Before I was ordained, I worked in anaesthetics. and I often say that in my previous life, I put people to sleep with drugs, but now I do it with sermons. Uh, I had to look on the internet as well to to look at what various blogs said. Uh, An atheist wrote this on a blog I hate church, and surprisingly, it's not just because I'm an atheist, although that fact probably doesn't help. (laughs) I used to tolerate my kids going to Sunday school. I thought the discipline and morals uh, would be good for him, and he could always dump the deity later if he didn't feel he needed an invisible friend any longer. So okay, I never really liked religion, but I used to think it had some usefulness. Now I hate the church. I actually haven't been fond of it for some time, but every day they prove themselves to be self-righteous. Everything is always perfect in their world. Everyone is always obedient and kind. Everyone always has enough money. Well, you've obviously not seen me. No one is seriously handicapped. And everyone has always been brought up by a mother and father that loved them and who were loved in return. Interesting view of the church. Um, I also sent some of my friends uh, a message in order to find what they thought of the church. Um, I've anonymized them, um, and in one case, I took out the swearing of it as well. Uh, you'll be glad to hear. So one friend said, Church is a good thing. It can sometimes bring communities together, but do you really need to go there to believe? And he also asked, "Why is the world so messed up?" And then the final one that I got was um, was the following: I don't know how. Sorry, I don't know many genuinely religious people, but I know many people who claim to be when it suits them. These people usually are the first to look down their noses at other people and usually care more about appearing to do the right thing rather than actually doing it. When I think of modern Christians, I immediately get an image of happy clappers all singing along. If something good happens, it's God's will. Anything bad happens, then he he works in mysterious ways. I don't believe there are rewards waiting for us after death. You earn them here and now. And unfortunately, there's many people on this planet who will never get their comeuppance. That's life. That said, I believe the church does achieve good things through charitable acts. But the good feeling that you get at the time is all the reward that you'll get. And at the bottom of this, he put, I'll keep an eye on my friends list and see if you delete me. So I haven't deleted him. We've had quite a lot of banter this week. He's a good mate. Um, So, after I've depressed you, (laughs) I want to uplift you this morning. I want us to look at what Jesus thinks about the church, because that should be our reference point, is what he thinks of the church. So, if you've got your Bible, have a look at Ephesians 5, or if you want to be lazy, look at the words on on the uh, screen instead. We will be reading the whole of the chapter. Um, I didn't feel I could cut it up at all. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another, act of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. And is himself its Saviour. Now, as the Church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the Church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the Church to Himself in splendour, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Keep your hands in there because that is our sole passage this morning. Uh, I think there's a, a lot for me to, to be going with this morning just from that passage. So please keep it open. I just want to pray for us a moment before, um, before I go through this. Lord, I want to thank you that you've been speaking to us through the worship. I thank you that you've shown that you love us so much. Lord, I thank you for for your words, which speak so clearly of your love for us. Lord, of all that you've done for us, I want to pray that this morning that you'd work in us, that you would show us more and more of your great love for the church. I want to pray, would you reveal it afresh to us, Lord? Lord, sometimes... Um, These sort of verses, they're so well read that we just kind of lose what they're about. I want to pray, bring them alive to us today. Lord, we love you and we want to be attentive to your word this morning. Amen. Amen. So we can see very clearly through this passage, um, Jesus loves the church. Um, There's a few main ways that we see this. The first one is that Jesus loves the church as his body. We're told that Jesus is the head of the body, the church. As the passage continues, Paul says that Jesus loves us as his own flesh. And he says that no one hates their own body, but instead we nourish and cherish it. And Nigel preached on this topic right at the start of our series, talking about uh, the church as the body of Christ. Each part of the body is connected to the head. And these are inseparable. Um, I couldn't this morning take my head off and still be alive. Um, I could try, but uh, it would be really difficult to do. Perhaps if someone's got a spare guillotine, we can practice that this morning. I've got a willing volunteer of Jonathan. Um, there is another doctor in the house who will be able to sort things out. But it's, we can't separate the head from the body. That's, that's the relationship with Jesus and the church, is that we're s- such a part of him. That we can't be separated. As our heads, he gives us direction and purpose, and he won't neglect us. I looked at the two main terms that are used here to describe uh, the love of the body. Uh, so there's nourish and cherish. The first one then, nourish. What's that mean? Uh, to be honest, I didn't really know what it, what it meant, uh, so I had to look through our dictionary to find out what it meant. Uh, It was actually a medical dictionary that I looked at. It means to furnish or sustain with nutriment, nutriment or whatever, um, to provide with food or other substances necessary for life and growth, to feed. Uh, James Thompson, where is he? Is he gone? Oh, he's there, sorry. Uh, This week, James put up um, a picture onto Twitter um, of a meal that he was enjoying. Um, he, he got himself um, a curry with rice and naan, and he had a beer next to it as well. Um, so we ended up having a bit of banter over Twitter about that. Um, I referred it as the, the ultimate student meal. And uh, to mum and dad, I think this is what he's going to be uh, enjoying when he goes away. Uh, he's going to uni uh, just in a few months' time. And I, I actually ended up ageing prematurely, and I came like your dad, really, didn't I? Uh, Some of the things I was saying to you. Uh, What I remembered was what it was like myself as a student, uh, which, before you say anything, Anthony, was not that long ago. It was only (laughs) nine years ago. See? (laughs) Oh, no, it wasn't. You see... (laughs) In the early days of this church, we were the youngest by 25 years, and we prayed for there to be younger people than us. Now we have younger people than us. I'm not sure if I wanted to pray that prayer. (laughs) They are starting to make me feel like I'm an old man prematurely. I'm only 30, guys. (laughs) I do have white hairs and the beard. (laughs) I'll shave it off next week. Um, But when I was at uni... I do remember those days. Um, I actually ended up neglecting myself. Uh, in my first year, I ended up coming back from university underweight. And I know that would be hard to think about nowadays, now that I've got the, uh, the married man's uh, spread, and we'll see that uh, in the next year, Tim Harmon will develop one of these. Um, but... When I was at uni, I just forgot to eat at times. And I know that sounds like a daft thing, but I was just caught up spending time with my friends going and doing things. And I just forgot to have meals. Um, So I ended up not looking after myself all that well. We will be checking up on you, James, okay? Make use of the Sunday lunches. (laughs) Yep, auntie's poking your back there. You see, but Jesus will never forget to nourish us. He will never forget to nourish the church. He feeds us and he gives us life. Again, that came through the worship this morning, doesn't it? That he will nourish us. He'll give us more than we've ever needed. He'll just keep on giving to us. And he doesn't just give us the scraps. Uh, This morning over breakfast, TJ uh, was staying with us and uh, he poured out the breakfast cereal and some went flying onto uh, the other side of the table. So I picked it up and ate it. But that, that won't be how Jesus nourishes us. He won't just flick us the scraps and we eat those. It'll be more like the Marks and Spencers advert, uh, where it says this isn't just any ordinary gâteau." You see, Jesus will nourish us well. And we're also coming up to Olympic season, aren't we? And Michael Phelps is again, uh, you know money is being put on him to, to come away with loads of medals. He's a, a great swimmer. Um, that guy eats 12,000 calories a day. <laughs> Try it. He <laughs> um, eats 12,000 calories a day in order to be able to, to function effectively, to be at the top of his game. And Jesus knows what we need to be able to function effectively as a body, and he feeds us. I want to ask, are you hungry in your spirit today? If you're hungry, be part of the body, and you will be nourished. One of the questions I was asked earlier this week is, um, can you be a Christian and not be part of a church? My answer to that would be yes, but you'll be malnourished, and your growth will be stunted. If you're not part of a church, you're making yourself vulnerable. Without church, you're likened to a hand functioning by itself. And again, if we spoke to the doctors, they'd say that a hand by itself is not going to live and it's not going to perform the actions that it was meant to do. The hand isn't to sit on its lonesome, but instead it's meant to be part of something bigger. It can't live by itself. It was made to serve the rest of the body and ultimately the head. In isolation, it withers and it dies. But as part of the body... It's got purpose and life to it. It serves the rest of the body. It helps to raise the food to the mouth in order to nourish the rest of the body. Um, It catches, or in my case, it drops accidentally. Um, It also helps to lift things up. It protects us. Be part of the body. Serve your purpose. If you're part of the body, Jesus will nourish you. As he nourishes and strengthens you, you then nourish and strengthen others. Jesus helps us to grow and to have life. And he sent the Holy Spirit to give the church life and to give that in abundance. And that's again what we've been talking about this morning. And again, uh, we've had the students over for lunch and we always count the numbers and then multiply it, probably by six to be honest, because you know that it's Uh, If you put out normal-sized portions, they'll just think it's the starter. (laughs) And then they'll keep on going and going and going. So Jesus isn't like that. We won't be able to eat him out of house and home. There'll always be more and more and more. So can I encourage you, come to Jesus this morning, and he'll nourish you. Be part of the body. The second one, cherish. What does this all mean? Again, I, I remember that in our wedding vase, um, I said to Fleur that I would cherish her, but I didn't know what it meant. So, uh, <laughs> so this week, uh, I did some marriage prep by having a look in a dictionary to find out what I said to her nine years, uh, nine years ago. Apparently, it means to protect and care for lovingly, to nurture, encourage, foster, and sustain. So that's what I now need to do. (laughs) This is how Jesus loves the church. He protects us. He's got our corner. He deeply cares for us. He nurtures us. He's guiding us. He trains us. He develops us towards a goal. He encourages us, he's rooting for us. When we're getting weary, he's the one who shouts encouragement to us. He's fostering us, helping us to grow and develop. And on top of all of that, he's sustaining us. He gives us strength to run the race. Those of you who know me, uh, know that one of my hobbies is that I'm a twitcher. That doesn't mean that I sit down and go, ooh, like this. Um, although I do when I'm sleeping, uh, you can find out from flu what happens with that. I end up kicking random object, objects as I'm slowly falling to sleep. But the type of twitching I'm on about this morning is that uh, I, I like watching birds. Um, I just look up into the sky and I can tell you what they are and, and look at them. Uh, on Wednesday night, um, when we had the, the family meeting as the church, I took along my binoculars um, to the meeting. Not so that I could see Nigel better, um, I, I know that he's vertically challenged, but um, you know, it wasn't. I can get away with it. He's not going to listen to the podcast, is he? he will so. now. <laughs> um, but I've lost my train of thought now. I'm scared of Nigel coming around to me at midnight. Um, what I did is that I took my binoculars along in order to, to look at the peregrine falcons that are on top of the police tower. And I spent some time just gazing at them. I would recommend that you do it. These are incredible birds. That, they're the fastest birds in the world. Uh, they, they go at 120 miles an hour. Um, so that's why they're by the police, so that uh, they you know, can bypass all of their speed traps. Uh, that's why they're up there. But apparently I'm not uh, on my own with, with being a bird lover. Uh, the great John Stott, um, who passed away last year into glory, uh, was also a keen twitcher, uh, and he wrote a book describing the lessons that we can learn from birds. Uh, one of the ways that we can learn from birds is that they protect their young with their wings. Uh, we may look at birds' wings and think, well, they're pretty weak, you know, um, but actually these are very powerful, they're very strong. Uh, they're actually something that keeps them in the air, and they're water-resistant as well but um, they're also solid enough that they are used to describe their young when they're in the nest. You can probably imagine that the young are at their most vulnerable when they're in the nest. They're dependent totally on their parents. We find that it's the wings that they use in order to keep them safe. So they wrap their wings around the chick in order to keep them warm. When it rains they protect them from the rain with their wings. When there's blistering heat, they protect them from that heat with their wings and deflect it. When predators come along, they put their wings over them to hide them. The chicks are hidden underneath the wings of the mother. And it's no wonder that God uses this analogy several times to describe one of the ways that he loves us. In Psalm 91, we're told that he will cover you with his feathers. Under his wings, you will find refuge. Jesus cherishes us, his church. He protects us under his wings. He nurtures us. He encourages us. He protects us and he hides us from our enemies. He spurs us on and he loves the church. Next one. Again, this came out in worship. I, I love preaching when everything that I'm about to preach on comes out in worship. Jesus gave Himself up for us. So what does this mean? Apparently, uh, in our wedding vows, because Fleur got them out this week in order to give to TJ and Francine, uh, who are getting married later this year, so they could have a look through them. Apparently, I said that I would love Fleur as. Uh, Jesus gave himself up for the church. So what does it mean? Does it mean that Jesus... I'm in so much trouble, aren't I? <laughs> Is there anywhere I can go for lunch today, please? <laughs> um, does it mean that, that Jesus will let us have our, our choice on the movie on DVD nights? Surely that's what it means to give himself up for us. Does it mean that he'll always open the door and uh, let us go first. doesn't mean that he'll pull the chair out for us, for us to sit down at the table in the restaurant. We're going to have to do a lot of that. No, actually, it's something more than that. Those are all good things to do, by the way. Um, if you want to, woo your ladies do those things? But actually, Jesus gave himself up for us. Gave himself Jesus is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords as we've been talking about earlier. He's the one whose name is above all other names. He's the one who at every sorry, he's the one who every knee will bow before and every tongue confess he is Lord of lords. He's God, the Son. And yet he gave himself up for us. Why on earth would he give himself for us? Well, we were made for relationship with him, but we got ourselves in a mess. We were far from him. We were trapped in our sins and our transgressions. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us know that we've not reached his standard. Sin entered the world when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and it's reigned in humanity since then, and it's been a curse over us all. We all try to make a way to right our wrongs. So whether that's helping an old lady across the road, even if she doesn't want to cross the road, whether it's letting the car out in front of us at the queue, or whether it's sharing our chocolates around the office, none of you do that, do you? You all eat them. All of these kind of make us feel better for a moment, but none of those pay for our wrongdoings. None of those pay for our sin. We're told that the wages of sin is death. We're separated from God and we have no way to get near to him. And this is why Jesus entered. Again, we we saw this earlier. We described how Jesus left heaven and all its riches and was born as a humble baby. He laid aside his majesty in heaven to become our savior. He lived a sinless life So that he could pay the ultimate sacrifice for us. And that sort of statement just kind of runs off our lips, doesn't it? We're so used to saying that Jesus lived a sinless life. But what was the cost of that for him? Daily you and I are tempted. And daily Jesus was tempted. But the difference between you and I and Jesus is that he never once gave in to those sins. The problem with temptation is that it is so tempting. It's really appealing. If it wasn't appealing, we'd have no problem uh, not giving in to it. You see, Fleur absolutely detests mushrooms. If you want to repulse Fleur, put a plate of mushrooms in front of her. Um, But it's not like that when it comes to sin. See, sin isn't a plate of mushrooms, but it's something that is incredibly appealing and so hard to say no to. Daily, Jesus never gave in to that temptation. Can you think of how hard that was? Daily being tempted and daily saying no. And he did that because he loves the church. Jesus went through an excruciating death for us Jesus was the perfect sacrifice in our place. He was brutally beaten and whipped, and he was humiliated. Then he carried the cross on that already beaten body. And then he hung on a cross, an agonizing death. And he did that because he loves the church. That's what it means for him to give himself up for the church. He rose again after three days and he defeated sin and death and he broke us free from our captivity and redeemed us. Again, we were singing this earlier. And again, he did this because he loves the church. Jesus gave himself up for us. He washed us clean from our guilty stains. He did it to present to himself a bride who would be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, holy without blemish. Yesterday I was chatting to Rachel about her dress and to the untrained eye, it didn't look like there was any marks on it whatsoever. I thought she'd got through the whole day without getting anything on it. But she said, no, there was lots of dirt that had gathered all across the bottom of her dress. But Jesus's bride's dress, the church's dress is spotless because Jesus has made it clean. Brides prepare themselves for months and months and months. I know some of the things that TJ and Francine have been doing so far, and there's far more to come. (laughs) I bet you don't want to hear there's more to come, do you? (laughs) But they're spending time preparing for their wedding. Jesus has prepared us for our wedding. Francine's not going to be turning up on her wedding day in shabby old clothes, (laughs) She's going to be turning up in a beautiful white dress like we saw yesterday with Rachel. And like with Patty, when she goes, it is going to be white, I hope, is that? Yeah? (laughs) I was just checking. Oh no, it's green. Yes, it's it's green, Tom. You don't know what she's going to be having on. But one thing that she won't be wearing is shabby old clothes. Brides wear a fine white dress and that is what Jesus has done for us. He's, He's clothed us with a wonderful garment. He's made a bride that he can present to himself spotless and without blemish. We stand righteous through Jesus' sacrifice for us. This is what it means for Jesus to have given himself up for us. So, is there any application to this? I think there is. (laughs) I'm pretty sure there is. And it starts here, right at the beginning of our passage. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. I want to suggest that Jesus' incredible love for the church is something that should bring about action in our lives. When Fleur told me that she loved me for the first time, I didn't shrug my shoulders and go back to playing on the Xbox. But what I did instead, or did I? No. Okay. (laughs) Okay. It, it evoked me to demonstrate my love for her. It show, it made me grateful for her love and it made me want to show her what it had done in my life. I wanted to show her that I wanted to spend all my days with her. So this therefore must mean something. Um, I was always taught that If there's a therefore, we need to go back. Uh, Jonathan does this always in his sermons. There's always a therefore in your sermons, aren't there? The passages you're given, yeah? (laughs) Um, But we always go back in order to find out why we need to change. A way to describe it is that if there's a therefore, it means that there's something that's been said before that we go then and we do X, Y, and Z as a result. Another way to put it is it's the reason for the action. So it's important that we understand here what went before Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 1 to 4, Paul has wonderfully set the scene for this chapter. Uh, He talks about the wonderful work of salvation and he reminds us of all of this. I've tried to summarize four chapters into, uh, into what is it? 36 pages, I think I've got here. No, just, just into one page. So here we go for it. It's going to be just a whistle stop. So you may want to go home later on and read Ephesians 1 to 4. I would do if I was here. So Paul reminds us that as the church, we were chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before God. We were predestined for adoption. We were redeemed through Jesus' blood. We have the forgiveness of sins through God's lavish grace. He has given us an inheritance and has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. While we were dead in our sins, we were made alive in Christ. We have been saved by grace. We have been raised up with Jesus to be seated in heavenly places so that in the coming ages, God might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We are his workmanship, created by God. We were saved by faith, not works, so that none may boast. We were created for good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to walk in. We were once alienated, far from God, separated from Christ. We have now been brought near through the blood of Christ. Jesus has brought us peace. In his body, he broke down the wall of hostility, He's reconciled the Jew and the Gentile in one body through the cross. We now have access to the Father through the Holy Spirit. We are being built into a holy temple in the Lord. We are being built together into a dwelling place for God. God has given sorry, God has chosen that through the church He will make known His manifold wisdom to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. We now have boldness and confidence to come to God because of Jesus. We have been brought together as one body. We have been given gifts of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers to equip us and build us up to reach maturity. That's naff, isn't it? No, it's pretty amazing stuff, isn't it? Those of you who... uh, might have seen on, on Facebook this week, uh, it is this that caused me to put the following as my status. Warning, and that was written in capitals, I think I'm about to explode with joy. I just read the, four, verse four, f- uh, oops. Just read the first four chapters of Ephesians. Wow, I hope I never grow tired of reading of God's lavish grace and love for the church. Isn't it incredible the way that Jesus loves the church? We've just read Ephesians 5, and I don't know about you, but when we were reading Ephesians 5, it stirred my heart, thinking of Jesus' love for us. Then I went back and read Ephesians 1 to 4, and I thought that I was going to burst. Look at what he's done for us. Look at how he loves the church. The first four chapters of Ephesians... We're building on each other step by step, showing the wonder of God's lavish grace and love for us, the church. And that's why when we come to chapter five, it starts, therefore. In our passage, Paul is saying to us, because of God's incredible grace and love towards us, imitate God. So how are we to imitate him? It's up there. We're to imitate him as beloved children. Paul's prayer at the end of chapter four is that we may know the breadth, the length, the height, and depth of Christ's love. Paul prayed this because he knew that if we understand Jesus' love for the church, we'd be a completely different people. How will we be transformed? Well, there's some things that we won't do. It says that we're told to not be sexually immoral, to not be impure, to not be covetous, to not partake in filthiness or crude joking, to not get drunk on wine. And the reason for these is that Paul says that these things are out of place with who we now are. We were once in darkness, but now we are children of light. So our identity has been changed. We were adopted as children of light, and so therefore we're not to hide in the darkness anymore. We're not to partake of these ways of the flesh. We're now alive in Christ. Jesus dearly loves us, and he paid such a price for us. And he's encouraging us to live in our identity. We're not trying to better ourselves. We're not trying to do that self-righteousness that my friends talked about. We know that we're rotten. We know that what we've done wrong, but through Jesus' sacrifice, we've been made clean. It's His righteousness that we now have hope in rather than ours. Our righteousness is like a filthy rag, His righteousness is a fine garment. So, what are we to look like then? What are we to do? We're to imitate God. My brothers are, are 10 and 8 years older than me. Uh, that does mean that I got beaten up quite a lot. Um, it also means that I got away with a lot and blamed it on them. Uh, there was a particular occasion actually where I broke a light and I decided that I wouldn't confess up to it, but I'd just leave it and hope that no one noticed and that they'd blame it on one of my other brothers. Sure enough, they did. Um, but with my brothers, I particularly looked up to my oldest brother, Nigel, um, Great guy, um, and he was everything that I wanted to be. If you can imagine that a 10-year age gap when you're a child seems like so much more than it does now. Um, you know, I used to look up to him and think, that's what I want to be when I'm his age. So Nigel uh, was a great cross-country runner. Um, he competed in the Welsh National Championships on three occasions. Um, he was brilliant at football as well. Uh, he was a huge Manchester United fan. Uh, he couldn't get everything right, you know. But he also rode a motorbike, um, and he had a, a great sense of humour. Um, and he also dressed pretty cool as well. I thought, I want to look like that. In every way, I wanted to be like Nigel. Um, and I used to spend as much time as possible as I could do with Nigel in order to become like him. Um, I actually took up running because of Nigel. Um, I also became interested in football because of him. And in my uh, childhood, I also was a Manchester United fan. I saw the error of my ways, I'm now a Cardiff City fan. Um, I also rode around to my BMX pretending that it was a motorbike so I could be like him. It didn't go as fast as a motorbike, but I could make the vroom vroom sounds quite well. Um, <laughs> I tried to live like him. I aspired to be like Nigel. And if I'm honest, though, the reason that I was trying to be like Nigel was that I wasn't sure of who I was. I was just a kid, and I thought that I wanted to be like him because he seemed like he did everything right. So I wanted to be like Nigel. But we can be sure in our identity today. We're to imitate God as beloved children, We're to imitate God in the same way I imitated Nigel but not because I want to change my identity and become Nigel but because we're beloved children. We've got a new identity and God wants us to live in that identity. You see, this is what sanctification is all about. It's a process of becoming more like Jesus. We've already been justified, made right with God and now we're being sanctified, being made to live out who we've already become. Therefore, the church should be full of people who are, are bursting with price. We should be a people who are excited about what God's done for us and living our lives out of gratitude for what he's done. Come to church because it's miserable. No, come to church because there's life. This place should be the best place to be on earth. How else should we look? Well, we're told to make the best use of time. We're told to not waste our time in idle things. It's so easy to waste our time, isn't it? But what we've got is that Jesus wants us to use our time wisely. And he's actually prepared good works for us to do. He's created those works for us and he wants us to do them. It's a joy to know that God has got something for you to do. So often people spend their lives trying to work out what it is that, that they're good at, what it is that they are supposed to do, what, it, what is my purpose in life. God has got something for you to do. If you're part of the church, Jesus has got something for you to do. So don't be idle. Find out what it is. Next one is to not get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit instead. The Spirit has come to give us life. He's come to help us to live our life. You see, we're not left with a list of rules of don't do this, don't do that. Instead, the Spirit has come to help us to live in our new identity. So if you're, if you're hungry, come to him. Be filled with the Spirit. He'll help you to imitate Jesus. Next one is that we should have good marriages as the church. Again, it was quite easy preaching this after going to a wedding yesterday. Our marriages should reflect Christ's relationship with the church. Husbands are told in this passage to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Again, um, we've had a few breakfast conversations, haven't we, TJ? (laughs) You didn't realize you were going to be brought into my sermon, did you? (laughs) But as I've been preparing the sermon, we were just chatting, and um, I said that I was struck again at what it means for us to love our wives as Christ loves the church. And actually it's not to be something that we take lightly, guys. This is something that we should take seriously. Last week um, Nick Priggis was here and he was preaching about fathers and he gave a challenge to fathers of what are you being like as a father? This is the Father in heaven. This is how he loves his children. How do you love your children as a father? Well again guys, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna go easy. Are we loving our wives as Christ loved the church? I'm speaking to myself. You can already see that I'm not doing well this morning. <laughs> I don't even know what cherish and nourish meant until this morning. So uh, I'm not doing well. So are we giving ourselves up for our wives? Are we cherishing them? Are we nourishing them? Do we protect and encourage our wives? Do we spur them on in their relationship with Jesus? This is what we're called to do. Guys, we need to work on this. Wives, you're called to submit to your husbands, And this can be a difficult one, particularly in today's culture. And there's a few guys who are going, but wouldn't you want to submit to a guy who loves you in this way? You see, it's not that you're called to submit to a husband who just tells you, do this and do that, and doesn't love you. You're called to love and submit to a husband who is loving you in this wonderful way. This sort of husband will do you good. You will be dearly loved, and you will be nourished, and you will be cherished. In a day and age when marriages have just been corroded. You know, we've heard about what's going on at the moment with marriages. It is so important that we get our marriages right. So important that we demonstrate to the world good marriages. How do we demonstrate good marriages? Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wives, submit to your husbands. Finally, I want to encourage you, love the church. Get passionate about the church. Uh, Nigel texted me earlier on, Nigel from Gateway, not Nigel, my brother. um, And he said uh, that I had a good subject to go with this morning and that he was rooting for me. And I didn't need much encouragement for this morning because I love this subject. I love the church. I can think nothing greater than being part of this church. It is a privilege to be part of church. It's not a a building. It's the people. We are the people of God. God has chosen us. He's put us together as a people. And I love the church. Can I encourage you? Get passionate about the church. Take opportunities to spend time with each other. It's not just about gathering on a Sunday or a Wednesday. It's about a life spent together. Love the church. Jesus loves the church. So let's love the church. In Song of Solomon, we're told that Jesus leaps over mountains and he bounds over hills in order to meet with the church. Do we do that? What do we do this morning? I know that we had a late night last night after Tim and Rachel's wedding. But what did we do? Did we kind of open one eye and smack the snooze button and go back to bed and then kind of roll out of bed at the last possible moment to get here just on time or a little bit late? Or did we bound out of our bed with joy, thinking, I want to meet with the people of God this morning? It might be a harsh example to use this morning, actually. (laughs) But I think it catches a little bit about what we think of church. Are we passionate about the church? I want to encourage us to love the church like Jesus loves the church. Let's be passionate about it. Let's make it our priority. Be part of it. So I just want us to to stand the moment. I want to pray for us. And can I have the the bands come forward as well? See, the church is the pinnacle of God's creation. It is the one thing that exists on earth that will exist forever. So I just want to pray for us for a moment for these things that, that I've just uh, been speaking about. And then I'd love us to to sing about how Jesus loves us. Lord, I thank you so much that you love the church. <laughs> Jesus, you love the church so passionately and so incredibly. Jesus, you gave yourself up for us. You love us as your own body. You nourish us. You cherish us. Jesus, I want to pray that you would help us to never forget your incredible love for us, the church. I want to pray that you would impact us. I want to pray that you'd help us to be imitators of God. We are your beloved children. Help us to remember that. Help us to imitate you. Help us to live like you. Help us, to, help us to live in the way that you have made us. Help us to live in our new identity. I want to pray that you would help us to have good, strong marriages. I want to pray that as a church, that our marriages would be strong, built on you. Jesus, how do we build them strong? We build them with you at the center of them. And we work them out in a context of a body of believers. Lord, would you grow us? We love you and we want to be passionate, more and more passionate about your people and about the church. Come and work in us, we pray, Lord. Amen.